Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. tonight, I want you to turn with me to Exodus 26, and uh, if you don't have your Bibles, just follow along on the screen. We're going to have a lot of scriptures this evening, and uh, I'm not just making up for not being here Sunday, but um, but I, I do want to, for the last 17 days, we've had a real focus on prayer. Uh, of course, we've always had a focus on prayer, but for the last 17 days, there's been a real concerted effort and in our 3030 initiative during the 30 days of November to pray at least 30 minutes a day adding 30 minutes to our prayer life and asking the Lord to touch us and strengthen us so I want to go to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 26 verse 36 and verse 37 and it may seem like an unusual beginning but if you'll just stay with me Maybe the Lord will help us tie all this together in just a little while. Exodus 26 and 36. The Bible says, And thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen wrought with needlework. And thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And their hooks shall be of gold, and thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. And so I, I want to uh, take my text really from verse 37 and uh, pray that the Lord will just help us. I want you to just commit with me right now that you'll just stay in the van. We're just going to take a journey. And uh, don't jump out at the first red light, traffic light. Let's stay with this and let the Spirit of the Lord speak to us. You can be seated. Thank you for standing and honoring to the word of the Lord. If you were to read the book of uh, Exodus 26 or chapter 26, this chapter gives a, a, a great description, great detailed description of the tabernacle in the wilderness. And uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and I... I can scope out my audience tonight and I feel safe and just kind of skipping through some of this. But the tabernacle in the wilderness was a place where God could meet with man and man could meet with God. It was the very first chapter, if you please, in the process that would bring God and man together. And it wasn't what we know tonight, us filled with his spirit in this house, freely worshiping him. But um, it was a place, it was a starting point. It was chapter one of the process of God and man being able to come together. Now, when you read about the tabernacle in the Old Testament, um, very, very detailed, and um, I hope you don't find that boring because there's nothing about the tabernacle plan or nothing about the tabernacle that was arbitrary. 
not in the materials that were used, the design of the tabernacle or its furnishings. Nothing was left to the whimsical impulses of man, but this was all at the directive of God. So no matter how unusual we may think it to be, it was all under the direction of God. Everything was done by divine design. The command was clearly given. And in fact, this would be the place that God said, let them make a sanctuary, Exodus 25. He said, let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And so this was very specific. Heaven was going to come to earth, but man could only come to God on God's terms. And so we, we can't decide. We're not the ones dealing the cards. It is God saying, this is how we'll meet. This is where we'll meet. So God gave very specific instructions, verse 25, or verse 9, rather, 25. Make it according to all that I show thee, shall ye make it. I'm going to tell you what to do, and you don't add your flair, your twist, your design, but you just do what I've told you to do. And so our text, our text kind of paints a word picture of sorts, and I can appreciate you maybe not picking up on it at first. I've had a long time to to think about this and to prepare this, but our, our text talks about a veil. The veil is portrayed in the very first verse that I read, and it speaks of this veil, and the scripture refers to this as the first veil. At least in Hebrews, it talks about another veil being the second veil, so I think it's safe for us to call this the first veil. And this veil occupied the entrance to the tabernacle. Now, according to Exodus 26 and 37, this first veil hung on what the scripture says, five wooden pillars that would be covered with gold. These five wooden pillars. And so this evening, I want to focus our attention on these five pillars. And so that's my subject this evening. We're gonna center our minds around prayer. And so I wanna talk about these pillars of prayer, pillars of prayer. So before we consider maybe these pillars of prayer, I wanna back up just a few steps in the tabernacle because it must, this must make sense if we're gonna take anything home with us tonight. And I wanna take just a few minutes to talk about two important pieces of furniture that were on the other side of this veil and on the other side of these five pillars. And the first thing was the brazen altar. And so when you explore the implications of the brazen altar, certainly as it relates to prayer, it was the largest piece of furniture in all of the tabernacle. It was even larger than the Ark of the Covenant. Perhaps this was symbolic to say that, that the glory that we would hope to experience at, at the Ark of the Covenant should be no greater than the amount of sacrifice we're willing to offer at the brazen altar. And so we can't expect to get more out of the bank than we've deposited in the bank. And so here's this largest piece of furniture, the altar of sacrifice, this brazen altar. And so if we're gonna get anything from God, then we first need to understand that what I withdraw is gonna be in direct proportion to that that I have invested or that that I have deposited. And so just, you know, coming to the house of God or coming to an altar of prayer should not be a place that we just come to think we can only make withdrawals. We've got to first come sacrificially and, and offer some things there unto the Lord. And so I think we must not be willing 
uh, or we shouldn't have our expectations greater than that that we've already deposited. So the altar of sacrifice, that was an altar of blood, an altar of fire. It's not a pretty place. It's not a sweet-smelling place. Again, an unmistakable message is this, that if we are going to get anything or if we're going to approach God, I believe that we must come in scripturally. We must begin with sacrifice. We used to sing a song, and it's a scriptural song. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And so we come not just wanting to make a withdrawal, but we come in to first invest ourselves in the sacrifice. The second piece of furniture that we would see in, this, in, the, in the tabernacle was the labor of washing. And so when we move past the, the altar to the labor of washing, again, nothing in the tabernacle left to chance, not just a random piece of furniture that was there. Here again, we see a biblical formula for God, or for man, rather, meeting God. And so the labor, the labor of washing was made of what the scripture refers as looking glass. Exodus 38 and 8, the scripture says, and he made the labor of brass and the foot of it brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, I've talked about this many times through the years, but in the Bible days, they didn't have glass mirrors, plate glass mirrors as we would have today. But what they did have to serve as a mirror would be brass that would be polished to a mirror image. And so when we think about that made of labor, that brass and the foot of it brass, the looking glasses of the women, that's what the scripture says. And so the altar was not just a place where the priest would come and, and, uh, and wash themselves, but it was also a place where you would come and see your own reflection. And so when we come to an altar of sacrifice and we sacrifice unto the Lord, then we move to that, to that labor. And here in that reflection, we see the raw truth of who we are and the condition that we're in. It's the raw truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And it's us first thing in the morning. It's us. That's what we see in the mirror in the looking glass in that reflecting glass and so the reflection was what we really are I'm sure that I'm speaking to people perhaps who are not so enamored with yourself that you've seen pictures of yourself and you went hmm <laughs> surely that's not me it's bad lighting or what kind of camera or on and on and on the list could go but you see the camera can only Reveal it can only share what's there, and so it's the it's the looking glass. Here we are, Amen. Having first visited that that altar of sacrifice, now we're coming to the labor of God's word. In other words, and it's that unmistakable reflection of we now see what He sees. We are now beholding what He is beholding. We stand at this labor and. We are judged, if you please, by his word. And we stand in the presence of what the scripture says is the discerner and the thought of the intent of our heart. Nothing is hidden at this labor. Nothing is hidden in this looking glass. And so uh, my prayer journey, whether that prayer journey is a prayer journey of hours or whether it's a prayer journey of minutes, it begins with me offering myself to God in sacrifice and it continues by me examining myself with the lens of God's word. Not examining myself 
in my own biased opinion of myself, not me examining myself and in my mother's or my favorite aunt's point of view, but it is me examining myself by God's word. Amen. Now, I want to talk about these five pillars. These five pillars of gold that brings us to this pivotal point in the process of our prayer because we are not left to just sacrifice nor are we just left to see ourselves in this raw image as God sees us but God is not going to leave us in that downcast position perhaps but he takes us through the pillars of prayer that stand between the altar and the labor. These pillars with a veil, the Bible talks about the veil in the first verse of our text. And he says, but all this veil, it shall be hung upon five pillars of, of shidem wood that would be covered in gold. And so these five large posts holding this veil was a gateway into the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but it was on the way to the holy of holies. So as we move toward these golden pillars, we complete our journey through the outer court of prayer. Now we have dealt with our sin at the altar of sacrifice and we have dealt with ourself at the labor and now we're about to enter into a place in prayer, a place of ministry, a holy place, amen. This doorway is a next dimension of prayer and it's a vital dimension of prayer because this entryway, these five posts and this veil sets the stage for what can happen with us, in us, and through us next. It's important to understand something here, that when the priest worked at the brazen altar, and when the priest worked at the labor of washing, they, like you and I, were dealing with their own sin. But once they went into the holy place, once they went through the veil, they were acting as an intercessor for people around them. And that's where the church must understand the vital role of prayer. Prayer can't just be about us dying out and us petitioning and us getting what we need and then moving on somewhere. We have got to move past just the sacrifice and the past of revealing who we are, where we are, but we must walk into that holy place. Amen. Are you still riding with me now? Amen. We're going to go into that holy place, that place of intercession. Perhaps no one in all of the Old Testament spoke more about the coming Messiah than did Isaiah. Consequently, I think it's interesting that Jesus Christ spoke often about Isaiah's and referred to Isaiah's writing in his earthly ministry. And it was by the prophet Isaiah, it was rather the prophet Isaiah that gave us the titles that I would like to preach about tonight. It was those titles by which the coming Savior would become not only described, but he would be known. I think many in this room will recognize the scripture of Isaiah and the writings of Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Here are those five pillars that we're about to walk through in this journey of prayer. It is these unforgettable titles that our eyes are drawn to as we approach this pathway of prayer. Yes, we must sacrifice. And yes, we must give of ourselves. And yes, we must move to that labor. And we must see ourselves as God sees us. 
But God doesn't want us to end our prayer just considering our failure and our shortcomings, but he wants us to continue to walk in prayer. And so when we move from the brazen altar to the laver, and then we move from the laver, we've got to go through that first veil. And what's holding that first veil is a reminder that he is a wonderful counselor and a mighty God, an everlasting father and a prince of peace. I'm gonna tell you that our prayer, prayer, real prayer, not just now I lay me down to sleep prayer, not just la 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 prayer, but real prayer are to help us examine the principles of who God is. And when you begin to think about who the Lord really is, it's hard not to be caught up. It's hard not to be carried away by the power of who the Lord really is. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It's at the entrance where these pillars are. It's here at the entrance that we no longer are just looking at ourselves. We're no longer just focused on me and mine. It's at the entrance that we stop looking at ourselves and we stop focusing on our blemishes and we see the Lord in his power, in his might, in his beauty. Amen. If we're going to understand the concept of prayer, or we must understand rather the concept of prayer, if we are going to pray effective prayers. The Bible said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I don't think I'm alone tonight. I believe I'm with people that want to pray prayers that matter. Availing prayers. Hallelujah. Prayers that can touch the throne of God. Prayer. Prayer. It's these pillars that fix our focus upward. If you notice the majesty, the beauty, and not just go cut a few twigs and hold this curtain up a little while. No. He said, I want you to get Five pillars, and I want you to hone them. I want you to shape them, and then I want you to cover them in gold. Can you imagine the beauty and the majesty of these five pillars? It was to get our attention off of the, the other altars we've been at. Now let's get our attention on him. Number one, he is wonderful. That's what Isaiah said, he is wonderful. John 1 and 3 said all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Our God is wonderful. Colossians 1 and 17, Paul said, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. He is a wonderful God. We're not praying to a God of I hope so. We're not praying to a God of maybe if all the planets are lined up, if everything is just right, but we're praying to a wonderful God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. When we are standing at the altar of sacrifice and when we are at the labor of washing, we may feel the weight of our own sinfulness and our own failures. We may, but once you get to those pillars of prayer and we begin to focus and fix our focus on those pillars of prayer and we begin to think about the wonder, the beauty and the majesty, the might and the power of our God, he is wonderful. Amen. I don't know why the Lord depended on me and I don't know why the Lord depended on you. You may feel that way as well but I have got to get my eyes off of me and my own inferior complexes, my own uh, my own hiccups and I've got to say Lord I want to thank you. It's not about me. It's not about my flesh. It's not about my wonderings but it is because you are a wonderful God. 
And as we stand at these pillars, we begin to behold him in all of his glory, in all of his majesty. It's when we get our eyes off of ourselves. A few years ago, my wife and I, after one of our general conferences, we made a trip out west, and and part of that trip was to, to see Mount Rushmore. And it was our first and so far only time of ever going there, but... You know, all of my life I've heard about Mount Rushmore and see the pictures of that and in school was taught all about that and, and, uh, and got every bit of it, by the way, while I was in school. <laughs> and I, I will never forget the anticipation knowing that morning when we got up that was going to be a part of our day's agenda. And so we began to climb those majestic mountains and hills and, and I will just never forget my wife and I both have talked about this, that, that just before we got to the, to the national park where we would enter in, we were going around a curve and there we, we could see Mount Rushmore. And for the first time in my life, I knew for sure that it was real. Now, I didn't think it was fake. I'm just saying, but for the first time, these eyes had beheld it. And it was breathtaking. It was stunning. Had had I known, had I known that we were going to make that bend and see that somewhere I would have wanted to pull over and just take advantage of that moment. But it was a glimpse, the majesty and of all of that. And then it just only sparked the anticipation to get into the park and to stand there and to behold that and to see the might and the beauty and the if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. The just just immeasurable beauty as you stood there. And I began to think about that today when I, I thought about looking at those pillars and realizing who God is, the power. And if we can be that knocked over and if we can be that stunned by something that the hands of man can create. When I go through that veil in prayer and I begin to think about that God really is wonderful. Isaiah wasn't just making things up. He wasn't just, he wasn't just trying to, he wasn't just trying to blow him up or inflate him. He was speaking the truth. He is wonderful. I'm thankful tonight to serve a wonderful God. He's never failed me. He's never been late. He's never missed the mark. He's a wonderful God. The second pillar is he is our counselor. Psalm 73 and 24 says, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. I mean, we're not supposed to get counsel from the ungodly. We're not supposed to get our counsel from the wicked. Amen. Psalms 1 and 1 said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. God, he is our counselor. When I need him, I'm amazed when I read through his word. I'm amazed, and I don't use that word loosely. I'm amazed when I read through his word and I find the counsel, the guidance. I find the steps. Amen. He really is ordering my steps. The wise man, Solomon, correctly penned these words. Proverbs 3 and 5, he said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding and in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. I'm going to tell you that God is not in the business of driving off and leaving us beside the road. God is not in the business of driving off and leaving us in the in the cloud of confusion that life can bring in every area of our lives whether it's church or home or work or school. Every issue of our life whether it's spiritually, physically or friends or family he will guide and he will give us counsel. It's there. It's there in the song. Amen. It's 
It's there in the word. It's there during the preaching. It's there in your time of devotion. It's there in your time of meditation. God is a counselor and he will lead us and guide us. David said in the 32nd Psalm, verse eight, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. That's how he said, I'm gonna just guide you with my eye. Haim, I wanna tell you that when someone can guide you with their eye, that is an end result of a relationship that only comes after years and times of being together and walking together. I will tell you that, our, that parents sometimes can guide your children with their your eyes. My mother could weld metal with her eyes. So I thought at times. I mean, it was just one look. And it wasn't always negative, but always just there was a, a look of affirmation of everything's going to be all right. Amen. Because somebody knew to look in the eyes. Because the eyes, you can tell a lot about a person in their eyes. I have to be very careful around here because I know people watch me a lot. And I sit on the platform where people can see me a lot. And so if something's going a little bit crooked, amen, I've got to be careful that my face stays straight. Because people are looking the eyes, because the eyes. You can. He, the Lord said, "This is what kind of relationship I want with you. Not one where I got to lasso you down. Not one where I got to get you in an arm lock, a headlock. Not one where I've got to press you into a corner. But I just want to be able to nudge you in my eyes. I want you to be able to see the pleasure or the displeasure. I want you to be able to just look. I want to guide you with my eyes. Psalms one thirty nine and three. He says, "Thou art acquainted with all my ways." That's what David said. Amen. Lord, you know all. You're acquainted with all my ways. And so when we are acquainted with Him and He is acquainted with us, He knows us well enough to just guide us. There are people in your life that don't have to say a word. You just know. Please don't just stay negative on me here. You just know. You know when it's good. I know you know when it's bad, but you know when it's good. There's just something pleasurable about that. You're well acquainted and you know. And that knowledge comes only through relationship. The third pillar, he is the mighty God. Psalms 24, 1, the Bible says in David, the psalm of David, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, they that dwell therein. For he hath founded upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend, he said, unto the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? Isaiah said of this coming Messiah, who is the ultimate fulfillment of the tabernacle, he said he is a wonderful he is the counselor and he is the mighty God. Psalms 150 and two said, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Not praise him according to how your day went. Not praise him according to how you feel. Not praise him according to the atmosphere. Not praise him for any of that. But he said, praise him for his mighty acts and praise him according to his excellent greatness. I come to magnify the Lord. If we sing a fast song, I'm going to magnify him in that song. If we sing a slow song, I'm going to magnify him in that song. If we sing a praise song, I'm going to magnify him in that. If we sing a hymn, I'm going to magnify him in that. If the preacher preaches quiet and soft, I'm going to magnify. If the preacher is wide open, I'm going to magnify for his excellent greatness. Hallelujah. 
He is a mighty God. He's a mighty God. John the Revelator said in 19 and 6, and I heard as it were a voice of great multitude as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Yes. Not because all is well in my life. Hallelujah. Right. Not because everything's going my way. Hallelujah. Not because Praise. I've got everything just as I want it, but hallelujah. 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 Amen. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Help my Lord, my Lord. If the economy's up, the Lord is reigning. If the economy is down, the Lord is reigning. It doesn't matter what the climate or the temperature of our world, our nation may be. I just want to join together tonight and say hallelujah for the Lord omnipotent reigneth. He's still God. He's still in control. He is a mighty, mighty God. Praise the Lord. We're not serving some second tier God. We're serving a mighty God. A mighty God. That's what these pillars are reminding me of. That's what these pillars are reminding me of. That's what's holding the veil, the first veil. The fourth pillar is the everlasting Father. You know, I don't like to number things because people count with you. But this is the fourth pillar. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And then in that same verse, Isaiah goes on to call him the everlasting father. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. I know you know, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. John 5 and 43, Jesus said, I am come in my father's name. John 10 and 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Later in, in John 14, he would say in verse seven, if ye had known me, you should have known my Father also. From henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip spoke up, amen. He was bold enough, brave enough, human enough to speak up in verse eight. And he said, Lord, very sincerely, he said, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us or it'll satisfy us. And Jesus, not by way of rebuke, but by way of admonition said unto him, have I been so long time with you and yet thou and hast not, thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say then, show us the Father? Amen, Isaiah was trying to tell us that when we enter in that first veil, you can't get through the veil without seeing these pillars. Amen. That he is all of these things a part of that. He is the mighty God, unquestionably, the everlasting Father. Hallelujah. I'm glad I know him and I'm glad he knows me. I'm glad that I'm familiar with him and I'm glad he's familiar with me, the everlasting Father. Praise God. Finally, finally, he is the Prince of Peace. Luke 2 and 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. When, when commending Jesus Christ to the Philippian believers, Paul promised them in Philippians 4 and 7, And the peace of God which 
passes all understanding shall keep, it shall preserve your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus. Isaiah prophesied of this in chapter nine and verse seven. He said of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. There is no end to the peace of God. Amen. There is no end to the peace of God. There is no end to the peace of God. His peace is with us. His peace is for us. John 16 and 33, the Bible says, these things have I spoken unto you that ye might have peace. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the peace speaker. I'm glad that the Lord cannot just speak to the wind and the waves. He left his own disciples in Mark chapter five saying what manner of man, or Mark chapter four, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves or the wind and the sea obey him. I will tell you today that he can't just speak peace to natural things, but he can speak peace to the spiritual things as well. I've had the Lord step into my life. I'm testifying now. Amen. I've had the Lord step into my life on more than one occasion and just say, peace be still and everything that troubled me and everything that was turning my world upside down. He had the ability to step in and say, no more, no longer. I'm going to give you, amen, the power of peace. I'm thankful to know that he is the Prince of peace. He's the Prince of peace. Praise God. Jeremiah boldly made this declaration to Israel, and I believe it's a declaration that that uh, makes its way to us here today. In Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. How do you feel about your children? What would you give? What would any normal parent give their children? If they could give them peace or anxiety, what do you think they would give? It would be peace, of course. In that first century church, the apostle Paul challenged us. Colossians 3.15. He said, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. He is the prince of peace. And sometimes you've got to take that by the horns. God has not given us to the spirit of fear. And fear is a spirit. He's not given us to the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Amen. Now, I'll ask our musicians to come and I'll, and I'll bring this to a close. Somewhat to summarize what we have considered here this evening, I want to just backtrack, take us quickly on the journey we've made. We've left the bloody altar of sacrifice. We went to the labor of the looking glass. And it was there we had the opportunity to see ourselves in the context of God's infallible and unbending word. Truth. Just real truth. The next thing we see are these five golden pillars and there's a reason for that because the first thing I believe those pillars would do is elevate our vision. It'd be hard to see the, the majesty, the beauty of these five golden pillars without raising our eyes to look at them. And I believe that our prayers would start in sacrifice. Our prayers will move to us seeing ourselves as we are. 
but somewhere our eyes and our vision must be elevated in prayer that we can see not just who we are but we can see who he is the power the beauty the majesty of God and in our prayer we can begin to exalt him as the wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace that prepares our heart and that's a message for another night but that prepares our heart to go into this place of intercession on the way to the holies of holy Holies of Holy is not what we're talking about here tonight, but it prepares us to go into that place to make intercession. It prepares us to pray kingdom prayers. Brother Larry Newber last Wednesday night talked about praying Hannah prayers. I know that wasn't his subject, but that praying Hannah prayers. Amen. Kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded. Amen. Pressing prayers. Prayers of intercession. So, if we begin to practice climbing up on that altar of sacrifice and saying, Lord, I just want to, I want to just die out to, to me. <laughs> I want to offer something to you. I want to give you something. We stop at that labor, that looking glass, and we see what God's word has to say about us. It's not a place of condemnation. No, no. That, that's just a place of reality. Maybe yes. But God doesn't bring us to ourselves so that we can be condemned. But he brings us to the realization of ourselves so that we can do something about those things. So when we pass through those golden pillars in our prayer, it changes our perception of prayer. Because we're shifting our focus from ourselves to him. And prayer has got somewhere. You've got to pray long enough that you shift the focus from us to him no matter how many woes we bring to our own personal altar we got to pray past those things or otherwise we just trying to make withdrawals on something we've not deposited and so it shifts our focus from us to him and if we're going to cease dealing with just our sins and ourselves then we have to behold the greatness of God, the power, the majesty of God to whom we are communicating. And so if you don't have a pattern of prayer, I offer this for you tonight. We can start out in our prayer by talking about after our sacrifice and things of that nature, but talking about how wonderful God is. How wonderful. You know, you could spend a long time talking about how wonderful God's been to you, your family, your friends, our church. You could just spend a long time dwelling about this wonderful God. We could speak about God's wise counsel in our lives. In our prayer, we can acknowledge that we know He is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. We could acknowledge that He's a loving Father that never, ever has abandoned us. And we can let Him know that because of him, we know what peace is all about. It's sad to say, I'm going to ask you to stand, maybe. It's, it's sad to say, but perhaps a glaring reality, that far too many people, and I'm talking about church people, view prayer as a negative undertaking. It's a lot easier to get people excited about coming to a church social than a church prayer meeting. 
It's a lot easier to get people motivated to, to come to some type of fellowship where we're just going to have fun than it is to say, let's come just warm our hearts and our hands around the altar of sincere prayer. I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about across the board. It seems like some people think of as a task, a drudgery. But prayer is not, a, not that at all. Prayer is a privilege. Really, it really is. I try to often, not my original idea. I was just in a church somewhere one day and many years ago. And I overheard a man I was praying beside say, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of prayer. And I thought, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. And for years and years and years now, I've tried to repeat that same thing. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Amen. I'm not just talking to a statue. I'm not talking to an idol that can't do anything about my situation. I thank you, Lord, that you've given me an audience. What a wonderful thing. What a privilege of prayer. So our focus for 17 days now has been on prayer. Why? Because no matter how long we've been serving God, all of us can afford to be stretched in the area of prayer. <laughs> There's probably not many people here tonight or anybody that would join us online that would want the rest of the world to read your stats on prayer. I've often thought about the immense pressure, I would think, immense pressure that is placed on all professional athletes. There, there are people keeping statistics with every move they make. So you, you, you can't tune into anything. No, it doesn't matter what. If it's baseball, basketball, football, golf, it doesn't, racing, it doesn't matter. Somebody's in the background saying, you know, it was 1996 before they ever let a lap like this. Somebody kept up with that. And somebody knows every time they struck out, every time they carried the ball, every time they missed a shot. <laughs> it's all chronicle for the world to see ages long. Now, how would you like for somebody to be keeping that kind of score on how many chapters of the Bible you read a day? How many minutes or hours you prayed a week? <laughs> I didn't mean for it to get this tight. We're not gonna, I'm not fixing to introduce this. I'm just asking a question. That's not what this is about. This is about a relationship. I am so thankful that my wife, I'm sure of this, I'm confident. I'm so glad that she doesn't know how many Valentine's Days that I've given her a card or candy or flowers? She's not keeping score like that. Before I, before I just really slide out here, I want to see what she's doing. She, she didn't have a scorecard because well, sometimes I'm not the best in those areas. But it's those other 364 days. So those other times, those other moments. And so our emphasis is not about putting people in a headlock to do something. It's about stretching ourselves. And so I say tonight, yes, let's sacrifice. And yes, let's look at that labor and that reflection and see who we are. But oh, Lord, don't get up and walk out of that prayer room and don't walk away from that altar before you pass by that veil. 
and you remind yourself that he is a wonderful a counselor. Oh, 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 I got to see him in his beauty. I got to see him in his majesty. I, this prepares me to be able to go into that veil, beyond that veil, and become an intercessor and pray for somebody. It's reminding us of this one simple truth the most powerful tool that we have in our arsenal is prayer. Prayer. You're not always going to have somebody to play a song or sing a song. You're not always going to have somebody to preach the message to you. You're not always going to have somebody to lead the service for you. Our most powerful weapon is prayer because no one can stop you from praying. No one, no thing can stop you from praying. I'm going to tell you, we have been part, many of us in this building have been at that moment where you've walked as far as you could walk with your loved one in the hospital and they're fixing to wheel them through those double doors and they're going to be just in the hands of the surgeons, the hand of that staff. And we had to go take a seat, but they're hear me tonight. We weren't, we weren't in some frail, feeble position. <laughs> no, no, no. I may not be able to glove up and mask up and suit up and go in there, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can pray for an angel to stand. I can pray for an angel to guide. I can pray for an angel to guard. Hallelujah. Lord, I love you today. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.